At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content, both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon. And this episode is with Alex Bear, who is the new International Hunter Education President. So that's I-H-E-A-U-S-A. And Alex is new to this job. I'm pretty excited about it. When I, when I saw that he had just uh, got placed as president at the I-H-E-A, and you're going to hear that a lot. I didn't know Alex, but I started looking into his background and, and started to think, this is the guy for this job because, and I told him, I was pretty upfront. I've been a hunter education instructor as long as I've been a game warden. When I first okay. got assigned, I, I was in charge of running the hunter safety course. I ran the hunter safety course. I had some helpers, but that was my job. My lieutenant assigned me that, and I did it. And I like doing it. I like educating people. I enjoy it. But it wasn't till like five years ago that I tripped across one of these magazines that, you know, IHEA puts out and was like, huh, there's an International Hunter Education Association. And at first, the first thing I, I was drawn to, Alex, was the discounts that they give to our hunter education instructors. <laughs> so that, that's a huge draw. So, but I'm, I'm going to read this in as best as I can uh, because this was an article done about Alex, you know, taking the reins at, at this program. So, um, so the International Hunter Education Association, USA, is pleased to announce that Alex Bear has been promoted to executive director January 1st, 2021. And, you know, what a great time to be voted in as the president. <laughs> so no, no challenges here in 2021. But Alex is the formerly the COO of the IHEA USA and replaces David Allen, who has retired as the executive director of the organization. Alex brings extensive experience working with U.S. outdoor industry and a strong passion for the IHEA USA and his potential to promote, support, lead efforts to expand hunting and shooting activities in the U.S. 
Alex has shown a strong commitment to hunting and, and the outdoors as a COO of the last year at the IHEA USA, demonstrating a keen desire to dramatically expand the organization's footprint as a leader in all things hunting, shooting in the USA. Alex is one of those never-sleep kind of guys that are always seeking to improve acceleration and organization's impact and brings his attitude and drive to the IHEA USA. Alex's future lists of projects and projects and programs for the IHEA USA is extensive, expanding focus not only hunting safety, but also firearm safety. Alex plans to build on the national R3 plan, which uh, we can explain if you guys don't understand the RH, uh, the R3 plan, has already secured two grant-funded national research projects and looks forward to leading hunter education activities, aggressively promoting hunting and shooting as an exciting and valuable activity in the U.S. and building and building better tools, instructors and students, enhancing hunting participation in all demographics. This is an exciting time for our industry, commented Alex, and I would agree. Both uh, the need for encouraging new participants in hunting and shooting sports and the industry's ability to accept the challenge have never been greater. I see the education for tomorrow's hunters and the shooters continuing to expand into focused opportunities beyond an, a general education cer- certification, a general, and that's usually a general hunter education certificate. The IEGA USA will drive this evolution into uncover the interest and demographics of students and offer them relevant material to become safe, responsible, and knowledgeable participants. Before joining the IHEA USA, Alex consulted on projects for private industry as well as the council to advance hunting and the shooting sports as well as the National Wildlife Wildlife Turkey Federation. Prior to that, Alex was a sales director on Onyx Maps, contributing their significant growth for five years while also acting as the R3 coordinator for Onyx, where he built partner relationships with conservation NGOs, uh, industry associations, state, and wildlife organizations. The IEHEA is extremely pleased to have a professional dedicated to the R3 movement, such as Alex, at the helm. And I, and I would certainly agree, Alex. Uh, all those things just put you in the driver's seat at, at, at such a, a time that's so pivotal that the, the influx of hunters and shooters that we have had Due to this pandemic, we need mm-hmm. someone like you in this driver's seat because things are changing and they're changing fast. And if we don't change with them, we're going to leave people behind. And we can't afford to leave these new people behind. We need to teach them as much as we can teach them. We need to get them out there hunting. We need to get them confident in shooting and bring them along and enjoy the experiences that we've had for so long and to share those. And one thing I, I like that reaching all demographics because that's one thing we we haven't done and we're reluctant to do because we don't like to go where the demographics usually are we're not city people a lot of demographics are in the city we need to pull those people out uh you know episode 26 of warden's watch is with abe he's probably the first interracial warden that i've done an interview with you know his mother was from guyana his father is from india and he talks about being in New York, and what brought him out of New York was the wildlife there. And he talks about the birds at the bird feeder, the deer between the apartment buildings. And, uh, you know, I, I just it just blows my mind. And thank God that that brought him out of there. And, and now he's enjoying the wildlife. And that's what we need to do. We need to take those people that can connect that way 
and take them out and bring them and nurture them into people like Abe that are competent hunters and shooters and enjoy the outdoors as much as we have for our whole careers. Um, that's my goal. And, you know, that's what I see you doing. And I think you got the tools to do it. So with, with an introduction like that, I better, I better bring something to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Uh, both you guys for having me on. This is, this is a true honor. Yeah. Great. I really to appreciate have you, the chance. And there is so much going on these days, right? And who can deny that? Um, and no. the changes are everywhere. You don't look far to see something that was different than it was six months ago, a year ago. Right. Um, and, <laughs> and all of our mobile phones remind us so frequently of mm. what it was like before, right? I love that when you get all the photos of things you did a year ago, thinking how much fun that was. Yeah. I'm thinking, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> 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 no. No, there's, there are really good things coming. And if we embrace these changes, we can make it work. Now we're talking right now, virtually doing some things and it might not be comfortable for a lot of people to think about um, connecting virtually. Right. But if, you know, there's yet yeah, you have to do it. And the people who have embraced it have succeeded. And there's a lot of businesses saving money. We'll see what happens with all that. There's a lot of individuals that are probably seeing each other for more, more frequently than they ever would have before. Right. It would have been a phone call and now it's a video call and that's the expectation, mm. not the exception. So there's more to it. Think that might've been before you don't, you lose all that time in the hallways and just chatting and different events and conferences, everything I loved. You build relationships <laughs> yeah. and, and there's no, there's no replacing that. Um, but if this had happened 15 years ago, we'd be in a much different situation. <clears throat> we didn't technology. have, yeah, we didn't have the technology to support it. Right. And we, uh, especially for new conservationists coming out into the world without this opportunity, um, horrible that the pandemic happened, but Alex Wayne and I have talked about this on other shows as we were starting this, this podcast really ramping up when COVID dropped of, if we didn't have this technology, think of what we couldn't share, what positives this technology has resulted in, like you said, um, through this pandemic, especially when it comes to hunter education. Mm -hmm. um, I know in my old state of California, talking to our hunter education coordinators, and you know, I want to second what Wayne said, and, and this is near and dear to you as well from just hunter education in general. I look at that as one of the top five, top two things I did in a law enforcement career as a game warden was getting to teach hunter education, either my own classes or integrate with my local instructors that I certified. And, and like Wayne still do that to this day and still rope in with other instructors, if not run classes. And it's just, it's that, you know, that, that rite of passage to the next generation, uh, bringing in older hunters that have uh, never been hunters of uh, all of that. And, uh, you know, with this massive increase in hunter, hunting license sales we had between March, April, and May when COVID just dropped and we were really getting to the non-hunting community. We were getting to the post-millennial generation. Uh, Wayne mentioned the urban, you know, urban, urban centers, um, people concerned with having to self-sustain and maybe survive and hunt whether they, you know, did it recreationally or, I mean, it was a food source primarily and had to be, um, and it's, it's all been done virtually. Our hunter education classes on the West Coast are done in this, in this remote format, making it easy for people to certify. Um, so it's really cool to see you at the helm of this new generation, this, you know, this tech generation of this organization and, uh, and where it's going to go. And we're excited to hear what you have in mind for next steps. I, I imagine that you are a, an excellent instructor, right? You can always tell when somebody's passionate with what they're teaching. It always makes it more fun to learn from those individuals, right? So I can see that, you know, John, you and Wayne both were just probably really fun <laughs> to have yeah. as instructors. We, we really enjoy it. Yeah. Mm, uh, there's no so much to that. Um, 
and now it's, you know, it's, it's tricky. Just to go back for a second. It is hard, but I'm glad we have the ability to at least give instruction virtually. Mm-hmm, I mean, there right. are plenty of, um, you know, all of the, there's a lot of heroes that come out of this right now, right? You've got a lot of individuals that have had to adjust and make changes just to offer opportunities for education. Um, and the fact that people are still going through the program and still being able to go through a hunter education course, an online class, that's relatively new. Um, there's a lot of uh, um, administrators from the states that are, you know, it's their job to work for the state agencies. And they're, they're having to be very flexible, right? They're having to, to get permissions and to buy licenses for things they didn't right. think they had to deal with a year ago. And they're doing it quickly so they can be responsive and not, not, miss, uh, not miss providing opportunities to those who are interested in getting into the mix. Because we all know you, you can't become a new hunter unless you've gone through some safety training. That's, there's, a, there's a need for that, right? We understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad they're able to provide that. And you're right. The numbers, boy, they're, some states are off the charts on, yeah. on the number of hunting licenses sold in 2020. People want to go outside. What else are they going to do, right? They can't stay right. inside all day. <laughs> they're so <laughs> bored and cooped up and looking for something to do. I think it's fantastic that they found the outlet that was provided yeah. to them. We um, do too. To hunt and fish. Fishing is off the charts. Um, so yeah, there's, but fishing is a gateway, right? Fishing is a gateway to something Big more time. too. And, yep. and it's hunting on a job. different level. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of overlap there. And I think it makes a lot of sense that you have these industry that supports both. Um, so yeah, we're, it's really exciting to think about the numbers. I've, I've spoken to most of the states at this point to see where they are. Um, the data is still coming in. I'm, I'm very data driven. Uh, as you've mm. read some of my resume there, it makes sense that I it would does. be coming yeah. from a sales and a bit of a tech sales background. Um, and even before that, I worked in the wireless industry uh, for a while, helping people figure out how to use smartphones and tablets and mobile internet right. and all of that. Um, so there's, I guess I'm a bit of a glutton of punishment on that one. You got to go to places to teach people. And, and I think that's needed really now, learn. Alex. I, I really <laughs> do. I look at our hunter safety instructors and I think, you know, they are thirsting for learning technology because of their age group. Um, and, and it'd be interesting if you looked at the data on that, how many, what, the, what are the age of the hunter safety instructors nationwide? I think we would find it's, a, it's an older generation that is thirsting for technology. Good technology, too, because sometimes they get angry because uh, states go to low bid and we get frustrated. Uh, right. I couldn't believe the technology out there when I retired because I got a new computer. I, I didn't know computers <laughs> did that stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I still was working with uh, Windows Vista. Uh, so, <laughs> but it's all about, you know, it, it's financially driven in, in a state agency. And I, I think that's sometimes reflective on the hunter education. So it, it frustrates people before. I think a lot of that's been cleared up. I think we have uh, saw that and it's been fixed because I think, it, it needed to get fixed or it was going to be devastating and it, it got fixed before it got worse. Um, but I, th- I think that, so. There's so much on the shoulders of the hunter education teams, the administrators, mm. the ones working for the states. There's so many things asked of them. Every state's different too. The responsibilities change right. from one state mm-hmm. to the next. You talk to somebody, you think, okay, I understand their position and, and where they need, where their challenges are and how we can help them as an organization like IHEA. Right. And then you call another state and it's a whole different story. And you're thinking, well, I have to, That'll be a challenge for me, right? Because now I've got to figure yeah. out how to work yeah. with these guys. And that's that's one of the direction. I mean, IHEA has, has always, whether it's been in the front or somewhere towards the back, always been on the priority list to work with the states and to help them with whatever they're trying to do. Now, in some cases, that has fallen a bit flat or has not um, seen as obvious. 
And I'd like to make sure that is right in the front because right now, especially with these challenges, we just talked about a lot of them. Right. When you're in a, in a world of change, you, you need someone to, to be willing to help you, right? You can't be asked to do everything yourself. And sure. IHEA as an organization, we're not, not largely staffed, but we are um, largely connected. And yes. I think that we have an obligation to bring some new ideas and some ways of doing business that might help those states who you mentioned who have budget problems or budget challenges, right? Not problems, but mm-hmm. they are challenges, the way the money works. Um, and that's changing too, right? right. And, and so we'll change with more taxes. hunting yeah. license and fishing licenses in the mix too. So what yeah. do they do with that money? Do they invest in technology, which right. I would think they would at this point, because that's where a lot of the formats are going to. Uh, one thing I can I can see that IHEA is doing is that that Connect program. So maybe that there's a way to understand technology that they can do at a you know whether it's a virtual learning thing that you know hunter safety constructors. Hey, this is how we virtually connect, and here are some resources. And you guys have a bunch of those resources already. I just was playing around with your website, and I was very very happy the way it was actually. Um, and I, I, yeah, I was, I was pretty good. So that, I think that's a good way to help, help all the states. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to uh, take, take your segue there and, and do a pitch, right? Hunters Connect. Yeah. Um, IHA USA. We have nice. our own YouTube channel. It's been out a couple of years. We have a hundred live episodes. Mm. Um, I call it episodes just because it's fun on a podcast, but truly, I guess they're just, they're tutorial style, you know, educational based videos, right? And how to do this, how to do that. We have everything from, uh, recently, we launched some videos from you know Randy Newberg Productions actually helps us right on your own adventures. His company helps us make these videos. Nice. Um, and if you're not familiar with Randy Newberg, check him out to your whole audience because he really does a lot for the industry. Um, but he his his organization out of Bozeman helps us craft these videos and we work with the states to get the content ideas. Right? We say to the states, "What is it you'd like to see a video made for?" Because it's expensive. Mm-hmm. And they reach out to us um, as often as we can make that connection. And then we create the video in response to their needs. Yes. That's, that's the plan, right? That's, that's the whole thing. Data driven. A lot of ideas, to be honest. Now. <laughs> there's, there's just only so much that we can think of is going to be good. We'd like the state to help us. So this is mm-hmm. a pitch also in this conversation here to say, if you're on part of the state's teams, reach out always. Let us know what you're looking for. Let us make a video for you. No cost. Mm. Um, we put that on our YouTube channel. And then most recently, we've actually built an internal system. We haven't even launched this fully yet. We just um, we received a grant last year to do this, to provide this service better to the states and to the educators. So we take the videos um, and we have a full version so you can download this if you're an instructor teaching a class. Because in so many times, you're in a location without great service. Right. You can't be relying right. upon streaming a YouTube video for a class. <clears throat> um, so we actually put the videos in their full format um, and you can download that. So you can bring it to your class. You can use it through a, a, d- a digital campaign from the marketing team for that state. You can reach out to your audience. If you've got, if you're just about to get into turkey season, send out some content to license holders. There you right? go. People just yeah. graduated and say, hey, just don't forget, here's some content from IHEA on how to hunt, how to find turkey signs, how to, you know, what it is you're looking for yep. to create those assets for them. We don't stop learning. Right. The whole program is based around the idea that you don't stop learning, right? You go to an education course, it's, it concludes, and then what? What's the process? And to give the resources that anyone can search online, which they do, right? That's why we consume data now. We, we learn by finding things on our own. We go online, we do a search for how do I hunt for turkey? And you can, you can learn from IHEA USA, who's 
probably got some good ideas, right? And it's right. going to teach you something about how to do it safely. Or, because there's always this option, you can learn from somebody else who made a YouTube video that may be more about them having a good time with some bugs, which is fine, but they may not have the exact safe practices you're hoping to, to start out with when you get sure. into this, this space. So. Yeah, and sometimes I, I wish some of the states would share with you. I, I always think a video, and I was just looking for it, Googling it. New Hampshire did a, a video, Is Your Safety On? I believe it was called. And it was about, because in the Northeast, we like to wear red check or green check. Vermont, Vermont wears green check. New Hampshire, Maine wear red check. But it was amazing <laughs> to show this video and show what red check does and compared to Hunter Orange at night. Uh, in that last 30 minutes of light that we were allowed to hunt, what that looks like, and then use orange in comparison. And uh, th those look black. Uh, you just see movement in those last 30 minutes. And mm -hmm. every hunting-related shooting that I investigated or participated in, it just made me go out and buy more orange because <laughs> it was all preventable. It was right. all <clears throat> preventable. Um, sometimes some, you know, some shot would get through maybe a rabbit hunter or something like that through some brush that, you know, I, I, I can try to see that they didn't see them, but, you know, voice communication helps in that instance too. And, you know, I know things happen sometimes, but, uh, certainly the hunter related shootings that were serious fatals, they were all preventable with hunter orange. And I don't know how many times, uh, you know, and, and growing up, I remember, you know, when we hunted, that wasn't a big deal. Not Hunter origin wasn't a big deal. As a matter of fact, we made fun of Massachusetts people that came up and we called them pumpkins. And now I want to be a pumpkin. <laughs> because pumpkins go home safe, right? The pumpkins yes. Get to go home, right? Yes. <laughs> right. Like you, you, you hit it on the head. And the success of hunter education, and, and that's why I think you guys are in the driver's seat for taking all these new recruits and bringing them to the next step because you took from a society, and, and I told this story to Alex earlier, uh, I was assigned to headquarters for about six months after I was shot in the line of duty. And it gave me, A, it gave me a lot of connections to headquarters, but one time they called up and they, they wanted a report out of 1968 on a hunter education shooting. And I went out and I went into the archives and I found 1968, 1969, and I started looking at them, and they were a fill-in-the-blank Hunter incident report that were two-sided, front and back, and you just filled out names and everything. And this is a fatal, this is a fatal right. Hunter, this is a fatal hunting-related shooting in 1968 that I was looking at in Colbrook, New Hampshire, and I found it, and I I found like there was like 20 something in the file, and I'm like 20 something hunter-related shootings in 1968 in in a, a small state like New Hampshire. Uh, that was, that was crazy. I, I am like, I'm like beside myself. A, I know what we have to do for a hunter related shooting now. And back then that was like two, that was 2000. Uh, yeah, it wasn't 2000. It was 1989 <laughs> that I was looking for that report. So, um, but I was looking, you know, found that report, double-sided, fatal shooting, and that was the extent of that report. Now you, it would be three inches thick, wouldn't it, John, when we the hunter-related shooting. We, we go to the 10th degree because we found out that maybe it wasn't really a hunter-related shooting. Maybe it was a murder. Right. Maybe, and you know. There, and, there, and there are some of the most, there are some of the most craziest investigations. And getting back to the whole hunter education pitch from a standpoint of uh, the safe protocols, Alex, you mentioned at the beginning of this subject. Um, 
you know, coming from a state of California that's so congested in population, and even though we have less and less hunters, we have, you know, very limited places we can hunt. And that was one state that never required a blaze orange or a hunting color for uh, observations. So, and it still doesn't. So it's really ironic that up here in the, you know, state of Montana, that's so much spread out and remote, we have that hunter orange, we have that high visibility color, you know, requirement, certain cubic inches. Uh, and we never had it in California. So the hunter casualty reports that I responded to during my patrol days in California were like Wayne said, like you said, brother, 100% preventable. Mm -hmm. Um, if you had just had some basic safety protocol in there and it it, it wasn't like, you know, you're going to a remote area where you're not going to see another hunter on an opener for five miles. I mean, it gets pretty congested in California, like it does in these, these Eastern hunts, Wayne, that you're used to Mm -hmm. deer openers and stuff. And it was a tragedy to see. And, um, we're hoping that changes in my old state, but up here in, in Montana, it's interesting. I just ran a book my uncle gave me for my birthday last November called Dying to Hunt in Montana. And Alex, being a Montana guy now, this is a great historical book because it goes all the way back to the late 1800s and gives chronologies and individual stories of hunter casualties and how they happened as far as the recording could have been, you know, in the early days, right up until uh, the early 2000s. And Wayne, like you said, it's interesting. A lot of these hunter casualties aren't hunting related. They're kind of a murder that goes Mm. between family members that are irate and they go out on a hunt and they use that as a guise. So there's a sinister little, uh, you know, murder mystery to some of these, but the vast majority of them are when I look at these, uh, and this is the book and it's, uh, it's kind of creepy to go through some of this. (laughs) (laughs) I look at Lincoln County and where you're you're down in in your part of Missoula area, Alex, and man, there are a lot of hunter casualties going back pre-1960 just because of uh, the lack of orange requirement, you know, just unsafe gun handling, um, lack of hunter education, you know, protocol that was kind of standard in the country at the time. And uh, it's just neat what you're bringing from a unifying standpoint of, of getting this stuff out, especially for new hunters that haven't had the experience we did growing up. I mean, I think I'm kind of preaching to the choir when I talk about the three of us growing up under a conservation ethos and around firearms at a young age and trained from a safety standpoint to respect that weapon uh, as a tool, know what it can do, good or bad. Um, but I'm thinking about these these new adults and these new teenagers that we've been educating in California, that post-millennial generation that never had that exposure. They've only seen things on TV and they start handling weapons for the first time. And, you know, a crash course in hunter education is just that initial course of weapon handling. You just don't have that familiarization, that comfort, um, and that muscle memory ingrained on things like where the muzzle's pointing, that your fingers indexed out of the trigger that lead to these hunter casualties. And it's just, just amazing to see how much better it's gotten in. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. That last 10 years... I know the last, uh, even though I was running primarily special operations with our marijuana enforcement team, I was fully aware of what hunter casualties were happening around the state because it didn't matter what job you were doing as a game warden in California. If a hunter casualty went down in your area, we responded. Whether you were a patrol guy, a marine expert, an undercover operative, or a special ops guy in, in the in the you know cannabis team, mm, um, and we had. On. 
the last five to seven years I was there, we did not have any DAS. Um, it was because our, our hunter education program had become, uh, you know, the instruction booklet had been so much more comprehensive. Um, the hands-on stuff we did after the 10 hours of class, the field time was, uh, was really comprehensive. And I, I think that, I think that really helped. I think it helped, you know, bring in some of these horror stories that the new generation were, uh, were getting told from the past and taken a little more seriously. And what you're doing uh, from a national standpoint, um, especially the states that don't have the resources that we do out in the West Coast and a, a very, uh, you know, what I consider a very well-funded hunter education program in California and a dedicated group of three, four, five lieutenants that are just hunter education lieutenants for different districts in the state. And that's all they do. Uh, a captain for hunter education, um, the law enforcement branch of Wayne's agency, my agency and every conservation agency, you know, coast to coast, we'd love to see that. And I know some conservation agencies don't have those resources to dedicate their law enforcement officers to that. And uh, we got to fill in the cracks, right? And that's mm -hmm. where your organization comes in of helping those states that really need it, especially. And it's really cool to see. Yeah. Are, are you guys familiar with our um, Hunter, in, Hunter, Incident, Hunter Incident Investigation Academy? Kind of a mouthful. Um, H-I-I-A. Very cool. Heard that, about uh, it, but not, not familiar with details. And we use yeah, your well, forms, too. So, yeah. <laughs> and like, like many things, it's just, it's been tricky this last 12 months, right? We didn't have the Academy this last year. We, we tried a couple of times, but travel budgets were slashed and, you know, groups weren't allowed to actually to make the trip. So we're looking into ways to change that program again, to be a bit more scalable, but also just to, to bring it nice. to the States to get more through it. So as it implies, it is the Hunter Investigation, right? Incident, Incident Investigation Academy. So it's there. It's not for... Um, general public, right? It's for uh, conservation officers. It's for game wardens, for those individuals who are looking to improve their skills and to learn the, the, the tricks and things to really investigate these incidents pr appropriately so that they know how to tell if it's a hunting incident truly. Yeah. And I want to highlight, Alex, because my lieutenant, when I came on, you know, 25 years ago, always used to correct me. I used to call it a hunting accident. And every time I said that, he would say it's a hunting incident. And he got that from you guys because he was a chief hunter education instructor. So I got corrected. Difference, right? There is a huge difference. And I kind of want you to touch on accident incident because I still think there's a lot of people that call them hunting accidents. And that's something that, you know, we have programmed out of our minds now. Uh, John and I, uh, I don't know if all the hunter education instructors have or the general public has, because I still hear that term used quite often, a hunting-related accident or a hunting accident. So. Yeah, it, it, it's the vernacular we push, right? It's, it's on the forms. It's on, as obviously, I'm trying to make mm. sure I say it correctly on this yes. podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, right. <laughs> we, we have it in the name of the academy, which we've, you know, we've trademarked now, so that's not changing. Mm -hmm. um, it's it really is important to differentiate those pieces. It's, it's not, you know, not always an accident, right? So right. there's, there's, there's something to that. I, I, it is right to get the terms. It's, it's important to get the terms correct. Yes. Um, but that, Cause it sets a state that, of mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, and that Academy is a big deal for us because it, it shows that we're mm. not just helping to put the courses together for the students to come into the mix. It's also helping the professionals um, in their, in their positions um, become even better, right? Mm -hmm. And specialized. We really, we're creating Very specialists much so. through that academy. Um, and people come from Canada, they come from different countries to, to take that course. It's, it's a great program. Yes. Uh, I know um, uh, 
Michael Brooks in, in Missouri um, is a big part of that program for us, as well as uh, Megan Wisecup from Iowa. Those two uh, have really championed that program um, and they do great work with it. And it's just, it's, it's a shame we couldn't get people through last year. We put about 80 people a year, but there are about 40 people max per academy. Uh, it's a week long thing. Uh, it, it is pretty intense for the week from what I understand. Right. Um, and we're looking to, to offer more of those. But uh, what I'd like to do, and we're just starting to scratch the surface on how we, we accomplished this, is to start training the trainer more or less, right? Bring right. somebody in who can then bring it back to their state because 80 people a year is that's great. So let's, let's be serious. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of people out there who could benefit from a course like that. And the more people that we educate on properly identifying the incidents that are as hunting or otherwise, the better the reporting is going to be, right? And it's a cycle, right? So if, we, if we're better about the understanding if it's a true hunting incident or not, then we have the data that we need, which we do manage. We have the Hunter Incident Database. That's an IHEA product as well. Right now, we're actually redoing that. So if you go to our new website, yep, that's a plug. If you go to our new refreshed website, IHEA-USA.org, you'll see it's, a, it's not a broken link, but it's not there right now because we've taken it down. We're take, making sure it has the right information and opening it up for the public to use that database. So nice. you can see just how a few incidents really are, and especially how many mm. uh, fatal incidents there are in their state right. far fewer than they expect i imagine and that's another way for we can bring education to the mix right giving people that that information they need to truly understand that it's not as dangerous as you might expect if you're thinking about your your son or your daughter right. getting into this for the first time good I, idea I would, I would want to know you know yeah. how how dangerous is this how many people are actually injured by this so offering that's a big piece so again incidents getting done correctly means the database is correct which means then we can look at where the incidents are and craft the educational programs to best accommodate those needs. And that's, that's the cycle. And then we create the standards, the national standards for those course curriculums, which the reason we do that could we have all the other pieces, right? And we know yeah. that we're creating the standards to actually be responsive to the needs. Well, and, and the cool thing there with that program is it, it's so current, you know, and I mean, data is everything, especially current, accurate data. And Alex, what I love what you're doing with that is you're not only showing the numbers of injuries versus, you know, fatalities, uh, state by state trends, but you're also showing the incident and, and uh, the logistics of that incident a little bit, you know, so somebody coming into it new can say, okay, well, I know that vehicles and weapons that are loaded in and out of vehicles, mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's a recipe, that's a powder keg. That's a gunpowder bomb waiting to go off just from the standpoint of what we've seen statistically when you take those data trends. And we just haven't had that in the past, um, especially when I look at old research in our old agency, the book I just mentioned and things like mm -hmm. that. And um, kudos for that. And definitely we want our listeners and viewers to be able to access that after this podcast if they're not familiar with it, because I don't think it's ever been that comprehensive and current from a data standpoint. And it, it's absolutely critical to keep this thing going positive. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of pieces of getting information into a national database, right? You can imagine 50 states contributing information that they collect on the ground. As you right. guys are aware, you've used those forms, right? Mm -hmm. So you have these forms. And they are very, the very detailed forms, too. I'm <laughs> like, oh, why do they need to know if they're wearing socks or not? You know, but that, that's how detailed these forms are. <laughs> it's a good investigative template, Wayne, we could use for other case work. I, right? I will say I was like, it wow, it is extremely <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thorough. I said nine pages or something. I just got, wow, yeah. wow. But I tried to check every box because I know it's, it's data driven. Down, 
It's been toned down a little. I can I can say that okay. it's a little easier to digest now. Um, <laughs> I don't want anybody out there to think, oh, what a terrible thing. No, this has been this has been toned. Uh, <laughs> toned That's great. So, it, but yes, that it is a lot of data to consume, and it's difficult to, to ask. And really, the onus was put on the states prior to now. We're changing this um, currently. The onus was on the states to to do the do the work in the field, right? then to put it into a database sometimes of their own because they have their own state database in many cases and then to duplicate that into a national database right. is asking a lot of work and there's also a lot of option for error right when you, when you think about how many times you've now transcribed that data from one place to another sure so what we're looking to do and i've got a team here actually in missoula help me work on this um and we have of course we're going to work with the state partners and things but we're trying to identify the best way to collect the information from the states automatically or in a place that they can simply use a file, send it to us, and we can try and match the fields, upload that data. It's, it starts to get a bit techy, but the, the hope is that it's only a couple of steps and a lot more automation, which nice. is where we're trying to create more of a lean nature for our organization um, and to take the workload off so they can work on other things. Paperwork is not the most important piece, right, that right. they can be doing. So we need to figure out how to take some of that out of the loop. Yeah, and a and form that's accessible with drop-down boxes are going to be a lot easier on us. So, I mean, I, that that's huge. I, I would think, you know, yeah. that that's if, if we could access it, you know, out there on a cloud, and go through that with a ton of drop-down boxes, you know, fill in this, fill in that, drop-down box, drop-down box. It goes so much better. We can access it. You can access it. I, I, I love that mm-hmm. idea. That's incredible. Every warden's got a laptop now, you know, it's, you know, if there's some secure way you can, while you're working on it, and then submit it, I think that that's, yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm so mm-hmm. happy you there's, guys are doing that, Alex. There's a few steps to get there, but right now we're going to clean up what we have, put mm-hmm. it on the new site, make it available to everyone. Because before this, it was unavailable. You had to have a special access to get into it. And the reason for that was because there was data that was uploaded to it that was containing personal information. Right. And it wasn't intentional. It was just that the process was so cumbersome that it was, people didn't take the, go to the extra step to pull certain pieces out. You had to look through thousands of records to do that. So we've now found a way to pull out the information um, and we're actually going to conceal the information. We're not going to lose anything. I don't want to lose any important information because some of those fields have great data in, in them as well. Mm-hmm. So we, we can't yeah. just delete the field, but we don't want to let it be open to the public because we don't need everybody to know the name of the officer, right? Right. We right. Worked on that right. case, right? Sure. I don't think you guys would appreciate that too often. So we need to pull some of those pieces out, but that information is available to the states then and the people that put the records together in the first place. That's what we're trying to do is almost create two databases. It's really the same one. We're just hiding fields. But that's the goal is that we create this tool that can be used by different audiences in different ways, but then we're not having to do two different tools. Yeah, and the nice thing is from the standpoint of us as investigators coming from the law enforcement side of responding to these incidents, that we have a consistent consistent uh, nationwide template. That just uh, takes mm-hmm. out the guess, takes out the wiggle room and the guesswork, you know, um, which always is room for error when we start using different devices or we use different, uh, you know, templates for our report writing. Yep. So, so IHEA um, has IHEA USA. We're not just we're not the only IHEA. We actually it's, it's an international um, organization of sorts. There's groups. There's, there's Canada. There's Mexico. There's other countries. I don't want to just clean on my everything, right? We're not that. We're IHEA USA. Right. Make sure I do that correctly. Yeah, um, the first support. one's an I, international. 
Yeah. International, right? <laughs> international. <laughs> Operative word, international. <laughs> I really don't like acronyms because every time I work with a Fed, I don't know what we're, we're talking about half the time. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah very acronym rich. And, and if it is, I want it really simple. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so we, uh, <laughs> um, the royal we. Um, so we we have. Um, <clears throat> I lost the train of thought. I only got the acronym side. Yeah. We, yeah you were we, thinking how complicated it was too, huh? Now I'm thinking about acronyms. That's not where I want to go with any yeah. of this. Uh, I always slow down the conversation and say, so tell me what this means. So that's that's usually my, and that pauses everybody and everybody in the room goes, uh, you don't know what that means? And no. So let's start from there and go. So that's, that's why I pick on acronyms and I will for the rest of my career because, you know, if you don't work with them all the time or the same people all the time, it's hard, A, to get in that routine to say them, and it's hard to use them. And what's wrong with saying International Hunter Education Association? That's not that hard. So it's yeah, almost it as much as... well on a t-shirt. Yeah, like good point. Good, good point. Good point. So, yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I don't have that hat, right? It's a Hunter's Connect. That, that's, that. <laughs> well, at least you got it orange, okay? A little orange yeah, on there. True. That's true. Yeah, a little I'm safety a little color. Like it. Oh, man. <laughs> my, my take on a pumpkin hat. Okay, I gave you that pause so you could think about what you were about to say. Yeah, it didn't come back. It didn't come back. We'll, we'll come back to it, I'm sure. But uh, I am I am very pleased at the changes that we're making to these pieces. The database itself is a major piece for us. Mm. Um, the fact that we're we're making these changes, it'll probably go live here in the next month. That's the hope. Um, and then we can just make it uh, more complete because there were some gaps just because of the way you put this information into the system. There were some gaps, um, you know, not not to the fault of anybody. There's just a lot that was asked of these organizations who also have their own turnover and their own process mm-hmm. and their own. They're very busy. Right now, there's legislation, you know, being talked about. I had a couple of states, actually going back to your camo or your, your orange comment. We have, um, I know a couple of states right now are interested in understanding the, the our stance, IHEA's stance on orange and pink, hunting pink. That's, that's, a, that's a topic right now, especially in North Dakota, I've heard from them mm. uh, recently. They're, hmm. they're discussing whether they should. Did the governor call you from there? Uh, no, but oh. they're a hunter ed administrator over there, and I okay. have some calls. And you just people like to know, right? And um, concerned sure. citizens. I want to know. Well, well do you, do you have a position? Our position as an organization is that the science hasn't yet really shown that there's better than orange. So we haven't gotcha. had the research hasn't been done to, to our knowledge and to the way it needs to be that really shows that it's better than orange. So why would we want to change what's working? Um, mm, now there's been right. some work done. I think it was, I don't mess up, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin. I forget which state there was. There's some research done by university, but um, I don't know much myself about the study from what I've, what I've heard about spreading rumor. That's no good. Um, is that it was, it was a good study, but there might be some pieces that need to be done additionally to really turn the, their heads on that orange is not just still the best to go. And, and the argument to go with pink, I don't understand it myself, but um, from what I've heard, it's, it's more seems to be a little more opinion there than fact. And we'd like to sit on, sit on, the, on the facts and the, and the data. Really so as an organization, yeah. we're still saying use orange until we have more information, at which point we'll reinvestigate this, potentially some more research. But at this point, rock the blaze, right? Or whatever you, wanna, <laughs> whatever, whatever you want that phrase to be. Let's just go pumpkin. I don't know. We, we can yeah. call it. <laughs> oh, that's how we used to call it. But are there states that actually pink is legal? I believe Wyoming. Um, I was wondering. Pink. I, I, yeah. 
Um, I don't know all of these states, but again, I'm fairly new to this position, so I'm learning as I go as well. But I, mm-hmm. I believe Wyoming allows the pink, um, but I don't know the shade of pink. I'd imagine there's questions to that. I mean, safety orange is pretty well yeah. understood. No, that's been branded for sure. And, you know, yeah. funding New Hampshire, we don't have a law that you have to wear hunter orange. We have a recommendation that is in law because we are the live free or die state. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot of politics that go into a lot, but it was it was important yeah. enough that we actually put into law a recommendation, but it's there's no law that says it. But, I, you know, certainly when I when I run hunter education classes, whether they're just field days or not, I require people to bring orange, wear orange that day. Because that's what I want to see. Um, sure. So that's that's one of my little pet peeves is you got to have something orange, whether it's a vest, a hat, or whatever, um, just so that everybody gets in that thing. And I talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I talk about investigations we've done and, and the, what Hunter Orange could have done for those people that were killed in a hunting-related incident. So and how important it is. And that's why you're wearing orange today. And that's why I want everybody here to wear orange. So we start that yeah, way. Definitely, definitely worth the extra effort. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's affordable. It's not expensive to think about having to add something new to your catalog of clothing, right? You can get an orange blaze pretty affordable, mm-hmm. right? But anywhere. And, uh, and I told all the guys that worked for me, I said, if, you, if, I'm, if I get shot in a hunting-related incident, it's a homicide, okay? Let's get this straight. It's a homicide. So <laughs> it's not a hunting-related shooting. It's a homicide. <laughs> right. I want it investigated yeah, we, correctly. <laughs> exactly. And that's... We talked about that already, but that, that's a really good thing for us to be able to provide that service is how to properly investigate that. Mm, no um, I do. I know. I know what I was going to say earlier. I did bring it. It did come back, um, but it was just that we have committees. So IHEA USA has committees that work that are comprised or composed of the state hundred administrators, right? The ones who work for right. each state. They also belong to these committees. And they are invaluable to us because they are able to mm-hmm. dive in and focus on specific things. We have a hunting incident committee that works with the, the database work and they work with the, um, the investigation academy. There are some individuals that are very dedicated to that. So I want to give them a little shout here and just say thank you again to those committees because they do a lot of that work. Uh, we have a standards committee. We have a, well, the fun conference committee. right? Mm-hmm. We also have and the awards committee. We do have a number of committees that are really helping out in ways that as a small organization, as a small staff organization, we wouldn't be able to have that capacity for, for work without those groups. So it's a really important piece that we have that. And, and it stages you for this nice. whole R3 uh, initiative. And, I, and, and please enlighten our listeners to the R3 initiative. And uh, it stages you guys in, in a very important position, I think, because of your nature, because of your success because of your contacts uh, out there. And I, I just think it, it puts you on the front row of this to help agencies and to mm-hmm. guide these, uh, to retain these new hunters, these new fishermen, these new outdoor enthusiasts uh, mm-hmm. on that on in that initiative. So if you could go into that, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I, I would. I thank you for the opening to do so. It's, it's a really important piece the industry is working on right now. R3, if you're not familiar, many people are not. It's one of those acronyms, mm-hmm. right? We're always talking about acronyms. It's, it's the recruitment, the retention, and the reactivation of hunters and shooters, right? It's not just hunting. It's the shooting sports as well. Yes. Right. And, and kind of overarching the entire and is a national movement, the R3 movement. Overall of it is the sense that this is a business. 
right? And it's not always popular to think of conservation as a business, but there's expense, right, to conservation. Mm-hmm. And, and there's been a lot of changes and it's, it's, it's palpable. You can, you can, if you're in the conferences and you're in the, in the mix on some conversations, especially on R3, you realize that understanding the cycle of cash and how it all works um, lets people understand why they have to focus on increasing participation, right? It's about participation. If people are not buying a license and hunting or fishing, or if they are not buying a firearm because there is an excise tax that comes from that purchase or a bow, right? It's not just firearms, it's bows as well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and for the fishing side, it's fishing, it's reels, it's, it's lures, all those mm-hmm. fun things that we buy anyway. But there are those taxes from that and those dollars from the license sales that contributes to the work that's done. So as you know, R3 as a movement is not, not new, it's just gotten a lot of momentum in the last few years, largely in part because the, there's a group called the Council to Advance Hunting and Shooting Sports. So I'm gonna give them a nod here. Great people um, doing great work. I've had the chance to work with them very closely. Uh, and and they, their organization has a board of incredibly powerful, influential people in the industry that are allowed, they're making things happen. They're working on legislation. They're making sure that funding is there for grants to do more work to help the participation. And, and, and tackle those three R's. So, and they're just the hunting and the shooting sports side. There's also an organization for the fishing uh, and the boating side. So that's a little different, but there's, to stay on this vein, we as an organization, IHEA, if you think about, so if you think about things as a business, I know it's a bit different for some people to think about. We're so passionate about hunting and, and the outdoors. It's, you don't think about passion when you think about work, right? And business as much as kind of, you hope to separate those things a little bit, but um, the business side, if you, Think about the money coming in, going towards the work to do the conservation and the wildlife management uh, and the programs that are built for that. Everything's very programmatic, right? The mm-hmm. government loves programs because it's understandable, right? Money in, money's cost. And then you have a, a hopefully a period at the end of that sentence that says that was the program and now it's good to go. It's not how it works anymore because businesses now right. are much more changing and flux and everything else. So they're even more expensive than they used to be. Um, but there's just there's a lot to go on with R3, and I can talk about it for a long time. IHEA, if the entire industry, if you think of it like a business, IHEA and hunter education and shooter education is kind of the greeter to that business, right? I, I love this metaphor. I use it a lot. So if you think about, um, you go to a go to a business as matter and choose anyone you'd like. When you get there, if it's a retail environment, I spent a lot of years working through retail and physical locations. So you have someone hopefully at the front that says, "Welcome, right? Thank you for coming." This is, we're happy to have you. <laughs> we have great things, yes, but I'm just happy you're here, right? Take your time and somebody else hits you over there and says, now we're gonna sell you something, right? But that, right. First, that, that first character you meet hopefully is very welcoming and they're inviting and they want you to be there and they let you know that. Hunter education is that, right? You, you have to go through hunter education. It's a requirement, but it doesn't have to be dull, right? It should be inviting. Sure. And I think we have as an organization, as an industry, um, that educational component is is that greeter position for the industry. And I think that's that's our um, IHEA's job is to make sure that we do our best to work with the states to make that approachable, inclusive, get everybody in the mix, make them feel like they're at the right place. They made a right decision to come here, right? And now we're going to help you through the process. R3 is about process. It's not just a one-stop thing. You have to think about making the process to get someone to become a, a lifelong hunter or to buy a license in subsequent years, and then hopefully to bring somebody else with them. Um, one of the pieces that I'm working that I'm, I'm hoping gets a little momentum here, and I'm going to 
sample this in your podcast. So now you're thinking, now you're thinking, oh, is this the right guy? This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tacovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So <laughs> I'm working on this tagline and we'll see if it goes anywhere, but I'd, I'd, I'd like IHEA to help focus educational programs on taking someone from graduate to guide, right? It's a from graduate to guide. So you're going from nice. learning and figuring out how to get through it. You get your certificate, whatever it is you get, that does make you a hunter, right? That makes you a graduate. <laughs> yep. Beyond that, there are many steps. Maybe you want to go on a mentored hunt. You want to take another class. Maybe you want to go to the range for a day there, whatever it might be. But there's a lot of pieces that happen between that moment you graduate to the day you feel comfortable enough and passionate enough to bring somebody else with you into the field. And that, if we can find out the process to go from graduate all the way to guide, then R3 is one. And we have this figured out. That's it's a lot going on there. But there, mm. I think, are educational milestones that we need to identify to recreate the experiences of people that can go through those steps. I mentioned the states are very, you know, process oriented. There's, there's, a, there's a stage to this, there's a step to that. Mm-hmm. So knowing that that's a bit of how they operate, creating those programs that fill in those gaps between graduation and taking someone else in the field to share your new passion. I, th- I think those are the steps IHEA needs to identify. Right. And we're going to do some research to get there. We're going to work with our partners to figure out what they know about their customers. A lot of great nonprofits out there with a lot of customers that are focused and passionate about waterfowl hunting or um, turkey hunting or upland right. bird, right? Those individuals probably hold some important keys to figuring out what it is that we can try and replicate to recreate those experiences through education, whether it's mentoring, instruction, there's a lot, there's a lot to be done there. And that will give us many years of focus as an organization to try and dig in, to understand what those pieces are and then to create them and spread them nationally. There's a lot there. I just dropped a lot. And where to to uh, target. Yeah. It's uh, but graduate to guide does encompass a lot, but it sums it up tight. And Mm. uh, I like, I like the tagline G to G on our tactical unit. That was one of our taglines, which meant good to go. But I like graduate to guide now with the number two in the middle. And uh, you could have a a logo and emblem Mm, on that. that. And a patch because we all love patches. Can you imagine that on your hunting coat? (laughs) I see you guys. There you go. A G, the number two G. Yeah, exactly. Pumpkin or guide. You know, H E I guide. 
Um, yep. Yeah, no, I, because we all love our, you know, you shoot that 200 pound buck. Don't you want your patch? Everybody wants their patch. It's about the patch. That <laughs> <Yep. laughs> you can, am I, am I wrong? <laughs> Alex, am I wrong? I, I hear a lot about patches. We, I have a storage unit full of patches right now. You want some? I got yeah. old patches. I've got patches. Yeah, but patches. this is a patch that says <laughs> HEI guide, guide, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's a lot there. That's not just an easy patch to uh, to acquire. That's if right. You're to, if you're going G to G to the full the full spectrum, and you make it to the guide level, there's it's kind of like the Eagle Scout of hunter education. I, boy, you hit the right? nail on the head, John, with that. Right. It's yeah. it's it's taking it so far beyond. But I like Alex where you're going with that concept is when you get to that guide level, mm. how much this unaware and unexposed generation is now going to have that mentorship, they're going to have that infrastructure to, to pay it forward, you know, with dedicated people outside of hunter education instructors, traditional law enforcement guys, the volunteers, it, it could go a lot further. Um, and I think you, you know, I think it's great that you're thinking so far ahead and mm. so um, uh, progressive with technology. And I mean, you know, our next generation, they like, they like buzzwords. You know, they like <laughs> that taglines, buzzwords, taglines, you know, what they say available. in Hollywood, the, yeah. the, the, the one, the one <laughs> sentence log line to capture that moment. Otherwise the story is lost. So no, it's a great idea. I think it has a lot of, um, a lot of legs, so to speak. And, uh, that's something we'd like to promote and help with, um, as it develops, if you go there. Thank you. Thank you. We, I'd love to circle back with you guys a little ways out and see how far we've come with this, but yeah, um, we've, we've got some new pieces coming this year. Things do take some time as you're familiar. You've worked in the government. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. There, there, yeah. There's a process. It takes some time, but um, this is, this is how it begins. So yeah, we've, we've got some good ideas. Um, got some new ideas. We don't want to lose what we've always been good at as well. Right. We have to really right. stick to our, our core and it's Absolutely. always going to be safety right? It's always going to be education. Um, and the education is how we disperse information and safety is underneath everything that we do. So as an organization, we will not lose that. Um, I think we will spread further into education for um, shooters. Yes. I think that's an important piece for us to add to the mix. It's not just hunting education. Again, thinking of it like a business, right? I mentioned that you have this, the tax being paid, um, we're actually working right now, and I, I'm not ready yet to give all the details, teaser, um, sort of, but we do have, we're working on something right now with AFWA's support, which is the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. That's, that's it's a big one. They, mm. They're rooting for us to be successful with this. Uh, their executive team kind of gave us the push to go forward with this new initiative we're doing. Um, nice. The Graduate to Guide is the big one, but this this is a piece that allows us to focus not just on hunting, but also on the shooting sports. So we are creating something new, hoping to have that um, ready by the fall, if not late summer of this year. And we can talk more about that later on when we get closer to it, but there's some yeah. pieces that need to happen first before I open and, that. Open and there that is so much overlap from hunter safety to shooter safety. I mean, the Ten Commandments alone, I mean, you know, keep mm -hmm. that gun pointed in a safe direction, period. Think how many lives that would have saved if, if we all did that correctly. Um, you know, I talked to my friend that owns a gun store and the stories he tells about people coming in and pointing guns and going off in his gun store uh, are wow. just crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and he hasn't been open that long and it just scares me. He can show That's you scary. bullet holes in the counter. Um, yeah. <laughs> so... He is very on edge when somebody he doesn't know comes in with a gun and, you know, first thing he says, keep that pointed in a safe direction, sir. 
please or ma'am you know yeah so it's too close to home yeah, so I, th- there's so much overlap there. There's so much you can do. I think they're very smart to team with you because you've already been successful um, and, and with the new tools and place and such. And the interesting I, I, thing I, I see and I, I'm experiencing it myself is where we get those new people in or where we pick them up to retrain them again is seems to be, and, and I know why because I'm experiencing it, it seems like after people graduate college and – their activity drops down drastically. Let's face it, you know, right now I have a 14-year-old that's playing hockey and, you know, uh, hunting season. It was a chore to get him out hunting because I'm competing with practices and games and, you know, and I, every parent is doing the same. They're competing with athletics and it's great we are keeping our kids busy. But I think when I grew up and John grew up, you know, our activities were more outdoor-based uh, just because we didn't have the, 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 the teams based up or the capacity to do all those things that kids do now. And I'm very happy they're getting busy, but I think that's where uh, we lose them because we don't have time because they're so engaged in these sports that they are so much right. less engaged. And then if you don't have a hunting or fishing or fa- grandfather, father, mother, family then you're even more disarrayed. You don't have the opportunity anymore. So when people get out of their college and things start slowing up, they, they gravitate to the outdoors, whether that starts with hiking, starts with uh, hunting, starts with fishing. Mm-hmm. And that's where we pick up those, you know, people that I think we can retain full time. And it, it, is that what you're seeing? Is that, is, is that what you're going to try to focus on? I'm just, again, data driven. I think that's what the data mm-hmm. is showing and I'm experiencing yeah, it. <laughs> No, you the choice is so much greater than it was years ago. I mean, every every right. year there's more choice and more options for I, I have two sons, um, but in <laughs> one of my son's bedrooms right now for this podcast, right? Right. I, I'm a dinosaur fan. That is not my T-Rex picture in the back there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they're <laughs> working from home, like everybody. My wife and I both work from home in different rooms. So all doing that, everybody else. But there is there is a real um, challenge, and you mentioned it, uh, to getting people to think, or anybody to think, why would I, why would I go hunting, right? The season is short. If you think right. about, if you think about season, as far as, as one species, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you think about hunting as a, as a year long activity, you know, if you're into small game hunting and Absolutely. turkey and, and deer and big game, you know, waterfowl, there's up and birds, so many options. Most people, I think, think of deer as a season, which mm-hmm. in some instances is very short. Right. So, where's the excitement the rest of the year, right? And if you're, if you're a football fan, you're thinking about it a lot, mm. <laughs> right? Not just during the season. Right. There's a lot of other things that happen to keep you in that, in that mindset. Um, hockey too. Um, it's funny you mentioned your, your son's playing. Son, daughter, son? Son, yes. 14. Playing hockey. Mm-hmm. My, my wife plays. I, she's in the room over there. My, my wife plays hockey um, and she loves it, right? It's become this new thing for her. And I watched her get into this. Nice. Um, here in Montana, uh, when she was older, she, she was not born a hockey player, right? She didn't start. Wow. She's a soccer player. Nice. When she was younger. And, uh, and, I, and I, I, I bet you she was a scrappy her. soccer player. <laughs> Unreal. Unreal soccer player. She's, she still plays in the adult leagues here in town. She's Ugh. a, she's very good. Um, but yes, she's, she's, anyway, she's love my wife. Let's put it there. Right. She's great. I'm very fortunate. Um, but watching her pick up a new passion, you know, later in life mm-hmm. is interesting, right? Because we're yeah, talking about process. that here. Yeah. How do we get someone who's interested in doing this because their life changes again? You mentioned when you graduate college, 
it's a great time. You're already thinking about what now, right? Mm. <laughs> you already know, well, that's that fun part ended. Now it's like adult time. Yeah. What am I going to do? Um, and you think about our new job, all these things. And that's that, that situation that I think we're describing is what a lot of people went through last year, mm-hmm. right? With this COVID piece. Because while they may have had things figured out, the party ended a lot, right? Because you think about all the things you couldn't do anymore. And you think, well, now what? Kind of like when you graduate college, there's probably some, some similarity to that. Mm-hmm. Now what am I going to do? I have a job. I've done all these things I was doing, taking my kid to Little League, taking my kid to whatever. Now what? Because that isn't available like it was. And the answer for a lot of people, fortunately, has been to go outside to figure out hunting, to figure out right. fishing, whatever that might have been for them. Um, and that's, that's a great boon for our industry. Now the trick is retaining them. The mm. trick on the data, right? Data is going to show that this <laughs> retention is going to be the primary R of the R3 to focus on. Definitely. Are they going to stay in the field and keep going at it? Right. Um, and, I, and I think, again, this is my opinion, which is what you get when you talk to me on a podcast, but I think that the recruitment R is very challenging. It's always more expensive to bring a new customer in, right? Mm-hmm. Anybody working in the private side will understand that. But the private industry buys the keywords, they know the marketing, they invest in the talent to get the individuals who are the best at getting new customers. Government agencies, that's, that's tricky. That's challenging for them to do that. I think partnering with the private side and making sure that the connections are there to understand the business side of it. And that if the customers continue, you have more to sell to, that, that connection can be made more real with better communication and groups like IHEA and the council, like I mentioned before, advanced hunting and shooting sports, brokering those relationships and working with the private side for the recruitment. I think if we can work with the private side for recruitment, the agencies can focus on retention, potentially reactivation, that third R, if they have mm-hmm. the ability to message those folks who have come through in the past. That's a lot of marketing and a lot of sales, but I think it's a combination effort. Um, mm-hmm. This industry will not be maintained simply by relying on state agencies. Right, It's too much. Mm-hmm. So that that's, that's my public service announcement. I think everyone should be <laughs> a part of this. And I think it's, uh, I think it's possible. So then you're going to see a lot more of that connection going forward too. Right. Right. And certainly that connect your, your connecting page is connecting people to do that type of thing. Uh, those videos are very engaging and, you know, and that's, that's what people are going to be really wanting. They're going to want to learn. So they need a resource to learn from. And I think you guys are going to provide that. I like the way you think about the the, the, the guide. Um, what, what an awesome thing. A, for the guide person, uh, because, you know, I think of all the hunter safety instructors and how passionate they are because they are extre- extremely passionate people. And they want to, they, they are so passionate about passing on their passion about the outdoors mm-hmm. to the next generation. They right. want to engage kids. They want to engage new people. So to give them an opportunity to become a guide and help people, I, I, th- I think you're, you got something there, Alex. And I think because hunter safety is changing, let's face it, and a lot of these guys aren't liking the way it's changing. But you're going to give them a new tool. You're going to give them a new purpose. And that's, that's my hope. Yeah, you're going to regenerate things. I, I just I can I, see it. Educators right now need help. They need encouragement. And they need to be kicked in the pants a little bit because we're going to say, Hey, there's more work to do. Mm-hmm. Don't stop now. We're just getting started. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that are interested in learning, but they want to learn in new ways, mm-hmm. right? They want to, have to change it a little bit. 
Um, they want to learn in new ways. They want to have tools on their own. They can find out some things. They want to get started and then maybe get some help when they need it. But it's not necessarily on our time. It's on their time. And that's a difficult, that's a difficult thing to figure out. Um, I think if we can identify more ways for the instructors to stay engaged, uh, we embrace the idea of mentors. That's a new piece that's getting a lot of momentum right now. Mm -hmm. What does that mean, mentor versus instructor? Um, there's levels to that. Defining that's big for the industry right now. Uh, the states are working through it. A lot of instructors right now who were full, you know, full go two years ago are now wondering if they're still as necessary. And the answer mm -hmm. is yes, mm -hmm. you are necessary. And we will do our part, IHEA. I guarantee we will do our part to make sure you feel welcome and that you feel like you are necessary and, and important because you are. Um, 45 to 55,000 instructors are out there. Mm. And that is a, a small army, right? Or a large army. Think about people that are willing to help people get into this space. Mm -hmm. When R3 is important, we can't be losing that army. So we got to find ways to make sure those individuals are um, still very much part of the mix. And that's a challenge right now the industry is facing because of all the online movement. Mm -hmm. So um, creating hybrid courses, we're actually changing our membership at IHEA. We've dropped our price. We're only allowing people who are um, educators, to, who are instructors, to be members of our organization. It used to be that anybody could really join. That was fine. But I think it's more, it's a bit better for us to be focused on that group. Yes. Then we can focus our messaging, we can focus our delivery, and we know we're delivering it to the right people. Mm. Our membership now on our website, which has all changed, um, if, if you, I'm not trying to just sell something here, really not, but I, what we're doing is we're trying to, we're creating an online library of resources that you're able to access, not just with Hunters Connect, that's on YouTube for everybody. There are specific resources for educators. We're trying to build an online community. We're about to kick this off. Nice. So if you're a member of our organization and you're linked into the States as an instructor, you have the ability to um, to join IHEA. And again, we've knocked the price down really just to cover our costs. We're not making money with this. This is a thing for us to just cover the cost. We're offering digital resources for those individuals who are willing to embrace those pieces. So you can have ideas being shared across state lines, across anywhere in the country. You know, if you're in New Hampshire and you're in California, but you've got a great idea, John, Wayne doesn't know it right now. Right. You guys are obviously in cahoots. Right. We haven't networked it. Yet. Yeah. Mm. So we're actually um, building a, an account for everybody who's a member of ours to communicate with each other through a, through a program. I don't want to plug the program, but it's, it's a program that we have. Um, and then we have um, also the ability to access online resources on how to's and best practices mm. that one educator can share with another. doesn't matter where they are in the country. Oh, so those are some of the pieces that before it was, you mentioned patches are great. Before we had patches and pins and, and posters and things you get in the mail but now it's more about resources you can share and grow with and share those ideas. That's what we're trying to build the online community of educators right now. Yeah. Very cool. No, but I think the old school and the new school have something to mix. And I'm sure or we have hunter education instructors in the future. I can see shooting education instructors uh, as well with that new piece that you're developing, which uh, again, gives another focus and uh, brings in somebody else. And again, a much needed area. John certainly can talk to this because he, he teaches shooting and, you know, just to get those fundamental guys out there because we just mm -hmm. brought, what, a million more uh, participants, firearm owners into it. Now we need those instructors to give them the instruction to do it correctly so we have a safe, whether it's hunting environment, shooting environment, or the environments right. for all of us that were there before and for the new people coming in. So I agree. Mm. I agree. 
No, that's cool. So we've gone an hour and 10 minutes. It didn't feel like it because, uh, like you said, <laughs> we're, we're both passionate guys. And uh, I, I think, boy, after our talking to you, Alex, I'm excited. I'm excited about you in that new position at the IHEA. Uh, just uh, getting into that, I, I just remember taking on, uh, you know, the new position as a sergeant, new position as a lieutenant. We all have our, our, our ideas and we focus on those and we start to build them. It's an exciting time. You know, you start setting your goals, and I, I can tell you're one of those guys, just like John and I, we achieve our goals. Uh, we, 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 we love what we do now, and it's because we loved what we did then, and we just extend our passion. And you're still in your passion. I can see every day for you isn't really work. It's, it's more of a, a lifestyle like being a game warden. <laughs> what a great what a great job i mean how fortunate can i be to have come across a position like this at this time mm. Any time would have been fortunate but to have it come now i i feel very very fortunate um and um i plan on making the most of it for sure yeah it's it, it's great to see what you're doing man and uh you know one of the things i always um a staple in my career was being progressive not just effective but being progressive and uh, my good friend and retired chief, Nancy Foley of our agency, who Wayne and I were fortunate to have on our Warden's Watch podcast last year, had a quote that's actually in the book I'm going to send you because it was kind of a mantra that I adapted was, change is inevitable, growth is optional. And with that growth, you have to be progressive to the sign of the times. And um, <clears throat> we are so passionate about the conservation lifestyle and about what you and me and Wayne and, and everybody in that fold have grown up doing, that if we don't modernize and think five steps ahead mm -hmm. and get to the new demographic, we, we've lost before we've started. So kudos to you bringing what you bring to the game because you bring a really progressive modern approach. And certainly I speak for Wayne and I both when I say anything we can do to help promote that, um, mm -hmm. we're driven to help. And uh, I think we're both lucky to be doing these podcasts and staying on the thin green line outreach and education front out of operations and probably reaching more people than we did while we were uh, active duty and law enforcement officers running squads um, and getting to work with guys like you is a real treat and a real privilege. And uh, we want to continue to do that. And it's just, just been great having you on the show, man. Thanks for all you're doing. Thank you both. Um, great work, guys. And really, I'm, I'm so glad you're doing this. I'm glad it's working out. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.